Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic for thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. In this episode, Jacob Bates, CEO, Common Grounds, discusses Workplace as a Service, the new HQ2. Hello, everyone. I'm April Coover from Callison RTKL, my Dallas office. Um, I'm here with my counterpart. We lead the workplace practice. Along with our New York colleagues, we welcome you here. We've uh, sponsored this event. Um, and I'm proud and excited to introduce Jacob Bates. He is the uh, CEO of Common Grounds. In his role, he is leading an evolution and accelerating growth in their workplace as a service, as we all know we've heard a lot about in this conference. Um, he has a tailored enterprise-grade solutions and human-centric environments for occupiers, investors, and owners. Jacob has a passion for the future of work and shaping tomorrow's workplace as leaders. He has 20 years of experience leading global enterprise, corporate real estate portfolios, and workplace solutions. Um, he's worked with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, so I'd like to welcome him, and we're really excited to hear what you have to say. Thanks, April. Uh, good morning. Thank you for that. Uh, so I'm going to just go ahead and get into it. Appreciate the introduction. Uh, so Workplace as a Service, the new HQ, I think one thing that we can definitely be sure of, of what has been built the last 10 years in the co-working industry is not what's going to be built the next 10 years. And so as we think about that, as we think about what was built and why it was built and who it was built for and what is going to be built going forward, we'll talk a little about what that might look like. The first thing I want to start off is co-working is not an industry. I can't tell you how many articles or different conversations I'll end up in or we're talking about co-working as an industry. Co-working is actually a workplace product sitting inside of a market, sitting inside of the commercial real estate industry. So now that we've actually got that out of the way, let's talk a little bit more about what that actually means. And the industry is commercial real estate. The market that we're heading towards is workplace as a service. The product in the last 10 years was co-working. But let's talk a little bit about the misalignment between supply and demand. So for the longest time, we all know this, in the commercial real estate industry, there's massive misalignment between what supply offers and what demand wants. And what demand wants is not what supply is offering anymore. The friction to get a 180-page lease done, the friction to hire an architect, a designer, work with the brokerage community, work with GCs and subcontractors, it's just completely full of friction it's completely full of fragmentation. Now that's still gonna work for some products, but it's not gonna work for all products going forward. What we're seeing is a huge demand for on-demand workplace. And so let's do a little bit of, a, of an exercise back in the evolution of the flexible workplace. So why did co-working get, really get started? Really, you know, flexible office solutions have been around for decades. The executive suites, we all just wanna forget that they exist. They still serve a purpose. Uh, there's still a demographic out there that wants it and needs it. Some of it could be for different reasons. Some of it could be for scale. Some of it could be that they, that they actually prefer that product, and that's okay. Coworking gets started really in a great recession when owners couldn't underwrite the demand from certain occupiers, whether it's freelancers or startups or just small businesses that simply couldn't sign a 5, 10, 15-year lease. They couldn't underwrite it from a credit-worthy perspective. Owners for the longest time and still today, because of the capital markets, continue to need contingent liability leases that are forward valued. 
So they need that triple grade A credit tenant from a Google or a Nike in order to underwrite the asset, make the asset more valuable. But these tenants, these occupiers of space, they couldn't underwrite it. So they solved it with co-working. But then what happened was enterprise companies decided, well, we're also going to change how we're going to manage our portfolios and manage how we go into different markets, manage how we deal with talent and the talent where they were at. And they started using co-working too. And the problem was the built environment and co-working wasn't built for them. It didn't act as an extension of their HQ. So they continued to change the environment, change the product, and try to make it for themselves. And that's where we're at today, is a need for HQ on demand. The problem with that is it then became in competition with asset owners. So you got IBM taking down 110,000 square feet in New York City from a co-working operator. Landlords usually got that lease. That's the difference in the world that we're heading towards. But the problem is you, you, we put a co-working operator inside of a 50-story, 100-story asset in New York City, and IBM signed the lease with the operator, not with the owner. They're now in competition. And that's not going to work going forward either. So what we see is an evolution going towards workplace as a service. And workplace as a service is not only for demand, it's also for supply. It's a solution to solve for both supply and demand to meet the needs of the occupier. At the end of the day, that's what we're trying to solve for. And so what's driving occupiers towards thinking differently about their portfolio, and this has been going on for the last 10 years. Some of it, you've, all, you've heard these stats, but I'm going to refresh it a little bit. Obviously, we're in a talent war. For me personally, I don't think the talent war is going to end. So even if a cycle happens tomorrow and we go into recession, I don't believe that the talent war will end. Why? Because the last 10 years, during the Great Recession and coming out of it, and even over the last decade, we've done a really good job of re-educating the workforce. We all went back, got MBAs, PhDs. We all got really educated. But we didn't get any skills for the jobs that don't exist yet. If you think about the jobs that were created in the last 10 years, most of them did not exist. That's going to happen, but at a very accelerated rate. So the war for talent's not going away until we figure out how to reskill our talent. We're also talking about shorter planning horizons. Businesses today, they can't see more than five to eight quarters in advance of themselves. So how do you go sign a five, 10, 20 year lease and try to bake in a warehouse space and spend a lot of capital and a lot of time and money trying to project what your headcount's going to be. Now, there's definitely going to be locations like headquarters, regional headquarters, core and strategic locations, especially for the Fortune 1500 companies. It makes sense to do a traditional lease. That's not going to change. They're going to do that. There's a space when I worked for a global Fortune 100 occupier where we evaluated the last 10 years of occupancy, and it was between two and 300 people, and it never changed. Never changed. So we might as well be in traditional space. We know it's going to be about that. But if you can't like look at data and make that prediction, then making a long-term contingent liability doesn't make sense anymore. By the way, those long-term contingent liabilities are about to become on your balance sheet. That's going to impact how companies raise money. It's going to impact how companies they are taxed. It's going to impact how Wall Street views their valuations. So we're looking at an environment that's about to change significantly. We also need to think about the capital. So flexible space, it can be a premium. There's also situations where it's actually costing you less. But if you think about the capital that you're putting into the space, 
Could you invest that in technology? Could you invest it in people, processes, systems, marketing to attract new customers, grow your business? Those are the questions we need to start asking ourselves about the true ROI of that money. So workplace outsourcing, from, from my perspective, is going to evolve significantly. So I go back, I'll put my head of real estate hat on, I outsource leasing and transaction management and facilities management, project management. Where we're at today is actually a complete outsource of the workplace. It's take care, this is something I'm not gonna define a strategic core or HQ. It's not going to be core or term space. I'm going to outsource the entire workplace apparatus to somebody else to solve. I want you to design, I want you to source, design, build, manage, operate under a license. That's important. And so what is workplace as a service? Again, workplace as a service includes numerous, numerous workplace products. Coworking is one of them, but it's a product sitting inside of a market, sitting inside of a very big industry called commercial real estate. There's numerous products. There's gonna be HQ and demand products. Traditional term space is still a product sitting inside of this market. There's gonna be services, design services, hospitality services. And what they're going to do is begin to outsource workplace, begin to look to acquire the products and services that they need to solve for their business needs, solve for their talent, solve for their customers. But these services also support the supply side of the equation. Owners are also trying to figure out how do I better activate my assets, better attract and retain my tenants. And they finally are deciding that their customer at the end of the day wasn't the banks, the capital markets, it's actually the, the, the Aprils who come to work every day and use the, the building. But we're also at the beginning of a new evolution when we look at buildings too. And by the way, property management is definitely gonna be part of this equation. Property management for the longest time has been break, fix, counting, make sure the lights work, don't burn the building down. Well, now when you walk into a building, like it, you need to have a different experience. It can't be some stiffy security guard that then sends you up to the 15th floor and there's no hospitality or experience wrapped around that. And so that's about to evolve as well. And so, Really, office, if you look at it for 70 plus years, has never evolved. It's the same static, fragmented, friction environment that we somehow just keep replicating over and over and over again. But everything else has evolved. So we're going to see the evolution of the office. And what does it look like? So I would say the last 10 years, you've seen co-working coming and all of a sudden we've activated the building. I wouldn't call that building activation. I think where we're at today is we've gone the last 10 years from, I would say 20 years ago, you worked at your desk. You had a desk, you had a cubicle, you had an office, whatever it was, and it was your space. Then we went to an agile place. We started sharing the environments, started sharing floors, having different typologies of spaces on those floors. Where we're heading is that your workplace, it's not your desk, it's not your floor, it's going to be the whole building. It could be accumulation of buildings and accumulation of different markets. And so we really have to look at how we're gonna activate that building with different products, services, hospitality, food and beverage, everything that you're gonna need to solve to make sure that you're having a productive workday 
Because at the end of the day, we can't measure productivity in the workplace, but we can measure the friction points that are decreasing productivity. And if we can identify those friction points, then we can remove them, make them more efficient, more streamlined. And if we do that, then ideally we're increasing productivity. And if we increase productivity in the workplace, then ideally we're going to increase people's lives, improve their lives, give them a better work life, allow them to take time with their families and their friends or their dog, whatever that might be. But we also need to look at the building and activate it through technology, engage it through technology. Technology is not the leader, it's an engagement tool, it's a resource. I think that's where this industry's gotten a little lost is like these, these co-working operators are tech companies, they're not tech companies, they're real estate services companies. They're enabled by technology, just like Uber's a mobility company, they're not a tech company, they're a mobility company enabled by technology. But the technology can't sit inside of four walls. It can't sit inside of the co-working operator's four walls on my two or three floors. It has to sit and activate the entire asset. You have to order your coffee from the food and beverage component, whether that's Common Grounds or Invita or some other operator, take your choice, and deliver it to the 15th floor. That's hospitality. You have to be able to make payments and buy services. You have to be able to interact and have a community, have a social environment, networking, programming, and curation over the building. This is where we're heading. So what does that mean? It also means demand's gonna use the building very differently. I can tell you I've met with several major occupiers and they're no longer coming to an asset and saying, I'll take 40,000 square feet of traditional and call it a day. They're saying, I want 40,000 feet of traditional, I want 20,000 feet of HQ on demand, and I need 10,000 feet of shared co-working environment for the people who travel to the workplace every day. And by the way, how do you manage your events and conferencing centers? And by the way, how is it all activated through technology and what does the hospitality experience look like? My people like coffee. And so that's the building of the future that we're heading towards. And so enterprise occupiers have had co-working concerns for the longest time. Some of the things we've solved for at Common Grounds are those co-working concerns. A lot of it comes from my background, my team's background, which is hundreds if not thousands of years of collective real estate, commercial real estate, and corporate real estate experience and looking at what occupiers actually want and need in the space. I can't tell you how many times when I go back and put my corporate real estate hat on where I'd have to send in my IT team to figure out how to network and wire the systems to make it secure, whether for HIPAA or for SEC requirements or whatever that might be. It needs to be plug and play. It has to be. The culture and branding is a big part of it. If I'm an occupier, I don't want your culture and brand as an operator. I don't want the building's owner culture brand. I have my own culture and brand. We've worked really hard at it. It's part of our talent and retention and engagement tool. I want my own brand and culture. You have to create an environment where that can be possible. And then you have to think about how you're going to advise these heads of real estate, the occupier, the supply and demand. How do you advise them how to think about these buildings? Think about their portfolio for the longest time. We have been at a place where it's, it's motivated, it's incentivized for, to get an occupier to take more space than they actually need. It doesn't make sense anymore. How do you know you're going to need 100,000 feet instead of 70,000 feet? Why aren't you using the co-working space? Why aren't you using the events and conferencing space? Why are you building 30-person meeting rooms? Why are you warehousing 20,000 feet for future growth? You really, you have a crystal ball that I don't have? And so the... The community's been incentivized to do bigger deals for longer term. 
because that's what the capital markets want. That's all changing. So part of the Common Grounds platform, we have a number of different HQ services. But again, these services are also for supply. They're for supply and demand, occupiers, owners. Uh, so workplace concierge, like I said, that's going to be a part of the fabric of any space, any building going forward. Wellness and curation is huge. Wellness and curation can mean a lot of things. It can mean whether it's fitness, it can mean whether it's mindfulness, whether it's a mother's room whether it's a meditation room or a prayer room. It could be a number of different things when we think about wellness curation. Event and programming, this is huge. Social and community, we were privileged. That's what people want. That's not going away. We all want social and community. We're people, we're humans. We want to interact. Workplace advisory, how do we think about the workplace? Both from a supply and demand perspective. Property management is going to evolve. It's not going to just be break, fix, don't burn the building down and do some accounting anymore. And then, of course, project management and design. And how we think about the design and the efficiency of the space is definitely evolving. So some of the other things we're doing is we're developing a space at Common Grounds that has enterprise-grade infrastructure to increase productivity. So what does that mean? A good example was we had a company who took one of our spaces, and they sent their IT team into this location to work for a week. It was eight people. They thought they were going to set up their IT systems. It was going to take them all that long. They worked for four hours and went home. And it has to be enterprise-grade. It has to be plug-and-play. Human-centric design. We all know what that really means. It means making sure the workplace from a human element is considered in that perspective. Everything. From furniture to the walls to the fabrics to the, the paint, whatever that might be. How people interact, the different typologies of spaces you're going to need to use. That has to be considered. The physical and digital security, probably one of the biggest things that co-working is getting hit on. And something we have thought about at Common Grounds significantly is how to maintain your physical and digital security because we know how important it is. And then your brand identity. And through our, our hackable built environments, which I'll get into next, we've created the ability for you to create your own brand and keep your own culture within the built environment. But first, about, more about the productivity and flexibility. The physical security, we, we go through that with a Salto system. The network security is a Cisco and Meraki system, very similar to what most companies are using today. The Crestrons, and then we have uh, exclusive and proprietary relationships with some furniture and some demandable wall systems that we have innovated on even further. So for the longest time as a head of real estate, the built environment wouldn't change. And as, as the head of real estate for a company in the Bay Area, we would have project teams. We started to go away from open plan. And let's all be honest, why open plan exists, it was a financial exercise. That's what it was. We just don't want to admit that to the public, but that's what it was. It's not productive. And so what is the next iteration of the workplace look like if it's not open plan? Or if maybe it has some open plan, but it's gonna have other things. It's gonna have different typologies of spaces, team spaces. So at the company I worked for in the Bay Area, we had a lot of team spaces. The problem was those teams would be 8, 10, 12 people, and then they changed. But the built environment didn't change. It couldn't change. It was fixed. It was costly. You got to pull permits. You got to get approvals. It's disruptive. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But this is like a thing that happens for this company every 6, 12, 18 months as it changes. And the technologies allowing it to change, allowing people to work differently. So what we've created at Common Grounds was a truly 
adaptive, hackable system while maintaining enterprise-grade quality. And so we've created the ability to drop in our system in a number of different sizes and shapes depending on the customer's programming needs. It's a double panel system, so I can do, it doesn't have to be glass, so I don't know why these, all these environments keep building it with glass. Like we should have fabrics, we should have acoustic panels, we should have you know, your brand colors and whatever that might be. Put your logo on it, you want whiteboards, you want that, you want leather. Create different ways to break up the environment to make it for you or make it for a productive reason. And then drop it in. And I'll give you a few examples on this. We have a customer who backfilled a customer in, in our Denver location. They asked us to remove uh, four walls, reconfigure, move them around. We did that in four hours during business hours. That's where the built environment has to go. Here's another example in our Minneapolis location. We took 391 linear feet, and we asked the general contractor if this was fixed, what would it look like, how much would it cost us to change this environment to get to the programming needs of the customer. And they came back and told us it's going to cost about $300,000, and we'll be lucky if we complete this in seven weeks. Well, we did it in one week for $60,000, and that includes me putting it back the way it was. So that's massive differentiation. From an owner's perspective, we also have to think about that because they're also a customer in the future of how we look at workplace as a service as we look at this industry. So we have an asset where we took uh, over in 2016, we activated it with a number of different services and products. We're not done yet. We still are only 30% of the way into our plan and we're producing 36% more revenue for that asset than the owner could get today by themselves. Because the future is management agreements, it's not gonna be leases. They're not gonna be signing leases as, an, as a co-working flexible office operator. You're gonna be signing management agreements, sharing in the operational and fiscal financial and uh, responsibilities and opportunities with the asset owner. And that's important too, because it's beneficial to the occupiers of the world. If I had a conversation with head of real estate once where they're looking to partner with somebody who can go into numerous assets, but they couldn't help the owner understand how to think about that in a way that was beneficial to them. But through relationships and partnerships with operators, we can do that because we're already talking with them at a level that's operational and financial and helping them achieve goals and make their building more valuable than it would be otherwise. So that's what I have for you today. All right, thank you everyone. Thank you for tuning into What's Next. Have an idea or point of view? Want to record a podcast of your own? Visit cornetglobal.org slash podcast.